Braves, Bulldogs, Falcons, Yellow Jackets, Hawks, Eagles. From the heart of Georgia, it's the Bill Shank Show. Hour number three of the Bill Shank Show. Russ Brown in for Bill this afternoon. And we're taking your phone calls at 478-646-ESPN. Wherever you want to go in the world of sports is fine with us. We're asking the question today, <laughs> what is the worst call in the history of sports? Uh, we got this from the secret text line. And uh, just turn just tune the sh- turn the show on. I sure hope somebody has mentioned Eric Gregg in the 1997 NLCS. Yes, that has been mentioned. Um, and <laughs> as Jeff said, it wasn't a bad call. It was the whole game. And I come to find out the entire game, that was game uh, five, I believe, is on – YouTube from 1997. There's also a cut-up with the calls if you just want to jump right to the bad stuff. So you can talk about that. Uh, Josh Pashner is out as the head coach at Georgia Tech after seven years. Uh, J-Bat making that announcement public this afternoon. So you know we'll see where the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets go from here as far as who the next head coach is going to be. I haven't heard a name specifically that would be a target uh, but there is an indication that this may not take very long and uh, that the Yellow Jackets could move swiftly to name a new head coach. So it sounds like Jay Bat had somebody in mind when he made this decision. Josh Pastner in seven years at Georgia Tech compiled a record of 109 and 114. And, you know, that's what we talked about. They, they righted the ship towards the tail end of the season. Um, they won a game in the ACC championship game when they knocked off Florida State. And we asked the question, had he done enough to save his job? Obviously, we know the answer to that question now. And there was a likability factor, I think, that was in play as well. Because the reaction that I've seen to this is it, there's like, it's like an understanding from the fan base. It's like this stinks. It had to be done. Uh, but we really like Josh Pastner, and we hate that this didn't work out. Uh, that seems to be the overwhelming theme. But I think, you know, if this had been the third or the fourth year he comes back, but you get to, to year seven, and I think that ultimately uh, is what factored into this decision. Uh, they won the ACC championship in the 2021 season, of course, went to the NCAA tournament with that uh, by winning the ACC tournament. That was the only NCAA tournament appearance for Josh Pastner in his seven years at Georgia Tech, so we'll wait and see uh, where they go from there. Uh, also, the uh, Yellow Jacket football team set their spring dates. They'll have a practice starting next Tuesday, uh, and they'll have three practices next week, take a break for spring break, and then when they come back, they'll go Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, leading up to the Georgia Tech spring game, which will be on April the 15th. Uh, some time changes to tell you about in college baseball. Uh, Georgia's game uh, that is getting underway right now, in fact, is on and scheduled as they host Charleston Southern this weekend. But they were going to play a a three-game series Saturday, Sunday. Sunday's game has been moved to tomorrow, so they'll play a doubleheader in that game tomorrow. Georgia Southern uh, hosting Rutgers this weekend has pushed the start of their game back tonight to 7.30. And Georgia Tech opening up conference play as uh, Notre Dame, the Fighting Irish in town, to take on the Yellow Jackets as they start ACC play uh, for this season. Um, so you got that going on. Also, uh, some tough news today for Georgia Southern as Will Harris, the defensive coordinator, 
has taken a job as the defensive backs coach with the Los Angeles Chargers. Uh, the, the Eagles are set to start spring practice in 11 days on March the 21st. Uh, you know, obviously, Coach Elton's going to want to move pretty quickly here to get that position filled, and uh, we'll see what names emerge in, in that. Uh, gave out the numbers earlier and seen, seeing some of the reaction on social media. Totally understandable. Look, the Georgia Southern defense – uh, had some pretty bad moments last year. They had some good moments too now, uh, but they were ranked 129th out of 131 teams in total yards allowed, uh, 125th in yards per play, and 112th in points per game. So the numbers weren't very good, but you know you could see uh, some of the in-game adjustments. You could see what Coach Harris was trying to do, and I'll always wonder you know, if he had a couple more seasons to get the right guys in here for, for what he was trying to do defensively. Uh, if it would have worked, but uh, that's not going to be the case. And Georgia Southern will enter the 2023 campaign uh, with a new defensive coordinator. So that's kind of all the news that's that's going on uh, around the sports world here on this Friday. Of course, there's a ton of uh, games going on in basket, college basketball with the uh, conference tournaments. Uh, champions will be being decided tomorrow and Sunday. And, of course, Selection Sunday, it's already here. We'll know the participants in the big dance coming up. Uh, on Sunday evening, and uh, everybody will be filling out their brackets the next next week, getting set for the NCAA tournament. And hey, uh, state of Georgia, we've got a team in this year, uh, and that is Kennesaw State. We talk about it all the time how college basketball isn't the best here in the state of Georgia, uh, and we just want a team in the tournament to cheer for. And we got one uh, with the Kennesaw State Owls. I'm I, and I'm not kidding you, man. I'm excited about it. I you know we won't know what day or what time the game is until they release the field on Sunday. But I'm, I really do hope it's it's going to be a 7 or 9 o'clock game, you know, where, you know, you can get home and really settle in and digest it. And who knows, man, maybe they'll pull an upset and be the Cinderella team this year. We've seen uh, Mercer do it uh, with their win over Duke. We saw Georgia State do it with their win over Baylor. And uh, hopefully this year Kennesaw State can do it as well. Transitioning to some college football talk now. And, again, the phone lines are open at 478 478- 646 ESPN, if you want to jump in here. Stuart Mandel of The Athletic uh, put out a list today of the top 25 college football coaches. And uh, th- these lists are always fun. And it's interesting, too, because this is something he does every year. So he he, he gives you an indication um, of, of kind of the trajectory of these coaches as well. And we'll just kind of go through the list here um, because, well, we'll start with the guys that just missed out. Uh, Kalen DeBoer at Washington. Of course, they've got Michael Penix, the quarterback there, is probably going to be your front front runner for the uh, Heisman Trophy. Uh, Jamie Chadwell, who did a good job at Coastal Carolina. Of course, he's the new coach at Liberty now, replacing Hugh Freeze. Mike Norvell of Florida State just missed out. And uh, people are expecting some really big things from the Seminoles this year. I, I think there's a pretty good chance with the divisionalist play, if you will, in the ACC now. You're going to see a Clemson-Florida State rematch in the ACC championship game. And, and the Knowles, you're going to see them picked highly and ranked highly in the preseason polls when they start to come out. Then you've got uh, Kalani Satake, the head coach at BYU. Of course, Willie Fritz at Tulane. They had the big win over USC in the uh, Cotton Bowl this year. Texas San Antonio's Jeff Trailer, uh, Troy Calhoun at Air Force, and Shane Beamer, the head coach at South Carolina. And, uh, you know, Coach Beamer, you can't deny the job that he's done in two years there with the Gamecocks, and they finished the season on a high note with the wins over Tennessee and uh, an in-state rival Clemson. So definitely 
uh, Coach Beamer has the uh, the Gamecocks headed in the right direction. As for the top 25, uh, he's got Matt Campbell of Iowa State ranked as the 25th best head coach in college football. He was ranked 16th in 2022, and he writes, Iowa State has fallen in the wrong direction the past two seasons, uh, bottoming out at 4-8 and eight last season. So we'll see. Uh, he's done. Matt Campbell's done a tremendous job at Iowa State. It was a nothing-nowhere outpost kind of a school when he took over, and uh, he's had them competing for Big 12 championships. But, again, they've kind of fallen off a little bit, and, um, and he'll look to turn them around here in the 2023 season. Jonathan Smith, number 24, he's the head coach at Oregon State, was not ranked last year. Oregon State had a uh, really, really good um, really good season. They went 10-3. and three. Uh, They upset Oregon. Uh, their in-state rival, and of course, Oregon was in the college football playoff discussion when that happened, and then they knocked off Florida in the bowl game uh, to finish out their season. Jimbo Fisher, Texas A&M, number 23, and you might wonder, well, why is he in the top 25? He was ninth a year ago, and this season for Jimbo is going to be critical in that you know they brought in some offensive help with Bobby Petrino. We'll see how those two uh, kind of work together. But, you know, he's an offensive coach, but for whatever reason, since he's been at Texas A&M, they haven't been able to get that offense off the ground. And, you know, he took over for Kevin Sumlin, and he's done basically the same 8-4 and four type of job, you know, on average, uh, since he got there. So there's going to be a lot of pressure and a lot of heat on Jimbo Fisher. Of course, the buyout, and that's the other thing, too. Jimbo Fisher and, and Texas A&M might be headed down sort of a – uh, uh, um, uh, Gus Miles on Auburn Road where the performance says you need to move on, but the buyout may say, well, give it a couple of years because I don't know if we can – I don't want to say you can't afford it. They, I mean, Texas A&M's got a lot of cash, but you would be a little bit hamstrung financially moving forward if you had to make that move now. So that's one to keep an eye on. Uh, number 22, Hugh Freeze at Auburn. He was number 23 last year. Of course, that's as the head coach. At Liberty, uh, Stewart writes, Liberty won eight games in all four of his seasons there. And, of course, they had the win at Arkansas last year. And, I, you know, look, uh, Hugh Freeze, he, he had his off-the-field issues at Ole Miss. We know about that. Um, people are going to be skeptical of, of his character. And, I mean, it is what it is. But I think he's going to do a really, really good job there at, at Auburn. I think it's a good fit. Uh, he can coach. We know that. <clears throat> and I think – excuse me – and I think he's going to be able to do exactly what it takes to help get that Auburn football program headed back in the right direction. Number 21 is P.J. Fleck at Minnesota. Falls from number 18. Um, he was 9-4 and four this year, 32-14 and 14 over the last four seasons. And, you know, look, I don't, I don't know what the um, ceiling is at Minnesota. It feels like maybe he's kind of peaked there. Uh, but it, something that's pointed out in the article – uh, he back-to-back nine-win seasons. That now, you know, that to a lot of fans are going to be like, "Hey, we're we're about national championships. That's not that big of a deal." But um, Minnesota had posted only two nine-win seasons in the previous 110 years. So you know, it, it's kind of like when James Franklin was at Minnesota. I mean, I'm sorry, at Van. We're talking about Minnesota when James Franklin was at Vanderbilt. You know, a nine-win season and a top-25 finish, you do that three or four years in a row at a bigger school, it's probably going to get you fired. But doing it at a place like that is hard. And uh, I think he's getting—he's he's a different kind of guy. 
an interesting character to say the least. But when it comes to 60 minutes between the white lines, he is a phenomenal football coach. Number 20 on this list is Mark Stoops at Kentucky. He was number 14. And and I think you have to call last year a disappointment for Kentucky. I, not a program that's used to going into the season with a lot of real expectations. Uh, they had those last year. And for whatever reason, you know, there was injury to the running back. They had lost their offensive coordinator. It just never really got off the ground for Kentucky in 2022. So, you know, he'll look to uh, take a step back in the right direction here in 2023. But I think the problem that Kentucky's going to run into is South Carolina and Tennessee are headed in the right direction. And I, I think there's a chance this year in the standings that both of those schools could jump Kentucky in the SEC East. You've got Lane Kiffin ranked number 19 out of Ole Miss. Um, you know, I, they, they just kind of fell apart. You know, the, you, you think about Ole Miss last season and how they had it rolling in really the first two-thirds of the season. They finished the year out at 8-5, and five, and there were rumors that he could be taking the Auburn job. So maybe that factored into it just a little bit. Um, but whatever the case may be, he's going to go into 2023 – as the guy now, but, uh, you know, it's it's transfer city there in Oxford, so it's hard to really say, okay, they were this last year. These are the guys that have moved on to the NFL, so here's, you know, what they could be in 2023 because that there's just so much roster turnover there. You know they're going to have a good offense. Uh, Lane is as good of an offensive coach as there is, uh, but he really needs to have a bounce-back season there at Ole Miss. Number 18 on this list is Josh Heupel of Tennessee, was not ranked last year. Tennessee had a phenomenal season. Um, in his five seasons as a head coach, he's 46-16 and 16 and has had a top-10 scoring offense in all five of those seasons. And one thing I'm really curious about with Tennessee going into 2023 is can they follow it up? The quarterback got hurt, and that was a big factor in that, in this, but there was a little bit of a drop-off uh, towards the tail end of the season for the Tennessee football program. And there were some rumors of things that may have transpired in the locker room that could have fell, f- fed into that as well. Uh, they looked really good in their win over Clemson in the bowl game. Uh, I, I know it's hard to put a lot of stock in bowl games sometimes, but, you know, watch that one. And, and you know, I, I think that was a, a good win for Tennessee over Clemson in the Orange Bowl. I want to see him follow it up. You know, I'm not ready to – I look, Tennessee may be ranked in the top ten. You're probably going to have some, you know, somebody in the media that wants attention is going to pick them to win the East. You can see all that stuff coming. But I just – I want to see him do it one more time before I'm ready to say, you know, Tennessee's back. Can they have another 10-11 win season in 2023? Sonny Dykes, the head coach at TCU, is number 17 on the list, not ranked last year. Look, he first-year head coach got a team all the way to the national championship game. I don't think there's much – else that needs to be said about that uh, but even to a greater degree than Tennessee I'm curious to see what act number two is going to look like from TCU they lose a lot off of that team and look that 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 they had the kind of loss in the championship game that can set your program back a little bit so we'll see uh, number 16 on the list is Matt Rule the new head coach at Nebraska obviously he's coming from the NFL it didn't go well uh, with the Panthers but he took over a Baylor program in 2017 and went one and 11 and had turned it around to an 11 and three season by 2019. Um, you know, I don't know what to take away from his time with the Carolina Panthers, but he's proven in the past that he is a really good coach at the collegiate level. Chris Kleiman, number 15 at Kansas state, uh, Kansas state, uh, of course won the big 12 championship this year. And, uh, he got them to a, uh, BCS bowl game 
So that's not the BCS anymore, but you know what I mean. Uh, New Year's six, that's the word I'm looking for. Uh, so a good season there. Mike Gundy, number 14, down from number 12. Dave Clawson at Wake Forest, number 13, up from number 15. Uh, I, I'm not sure anybody in the – well, we'll get to this next guy in a second. There aren't many other coaches in the country that do more with less. And uh, really curious to see um, what they can do at the quarterback position now that Sam Hartman has transferred to Notre Dame. Sam Hartman, a very talented quarterback. Can Dave Clawson and the Deeks keep that offense rolling uh, in the 2023 season? Speaking of guys that do a lot with a little – uh, Jeff Munkin of Army is number 12 on this list. He had been number 10. Uh, he wins consistently at um, a, a service academy, which is hard to do. Um, it, I, I think it's silly that athletic directors are too scared to give somebody like this a chance to come be a coach at a Power 5 level. Um, it can work. Uh, if you're a middling uh, or, or bottom-tier team in a Power 5 conference, it's not going to get any worse than it already is. Stop trying to be like everybody else and don't be afraid to try something different. Um, and, I mean, if the guy can win an Army, he can win anywhere. There's no question in my mind about that. And 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 and, and beyond the offense, Jeff Munkin's just a hell of a football coach. He has a passion for the game. He's a good motivator, a good feel for the game, and just knows how to win. Uh, number 11 on the list is Lance Leopold from Kansas. Uh, obviously, they had a, a, a really – uh, good start to their season. It kind of sputtered down the stretch. But, again, Kansas is one of those outpost places where it's uh, hard to win at. Uh, James Franklin of Penn State is number 10. Luke Fickle of Wisconsin, number 9. Um, really curious to see how Luke, he does at a Big Ten program. Of course, he turned Cincinnati into a group of five powerhouse, got them to a playoff, and built a tremendous program there. In the state of Ohio. So, uh, you know, I like this hire for Wisconsin, and, and we'll see how the fit goes. Kyle Whittingham, number eight at Utah. I mean, just as consistent as a guy over the last two decades in coaching as you're ever going to see. Ryan Day from Ohio State is number seven on this list. Jim Harbaugh at Michigan, number six. Uh, Lincoln Riley, number five. Brian Kelly, number four, did a tremendous job in his first year at LSU. Dabo Sweeney, three. And, <laughs> and he goes – 1A, Nick Saban, 1B, Kirby Smart. I, I, I hope Alabama and Georgia play each other this year. I hope those both can make it to the national championship game. And I said it before, look, Nick Saban is the greatest college football coach of all time. And Kirby Smart's only been a head coach since 2016. But if Georgia finds a way to win a national championship for a third year in a row, I think you have to give the edge to Kirby Smart. It's going to be tough. Georgia's got a new quarterback. They've got holes to fill Our our our, our – Bodies to replace may be a better way to say it. On the offensive line, you're losing really talented defensive players. We've seen them overcome that. Uh, the 2022 defense did that off the guys that they lost in 2021. But Nolan Smith is gone. Jalen Carter's gone. Keely Ringo's gone. All three of those guys probably going to be first-round picks. So there's a lot that has to happen for uh, the Georgia Bulldogs to, to win. But, again, the schedule sets up nice early so you can ease into the season with your new quarterback. There are some challenges on there. You know, Hugh Freeze in his first year at Auburn might be a little bit of a challenge. Uh, the trip to Knoxville, uh, at least to start the game, that's going to be a rocking atmosphere up there in Tennessee, especially if the Vols have followed up and built off of what they did in 2022. Uh, and then, of course, we know the, the SEC championship game, regardless of who it is, is going to be a tough one if the Dogs can make it back to Atlanta again for the third year in a row. Uh, but again... If they find a way to win that national championship for the third year in a row, it would be the first time it's happened since the 1930s. 
I, I think next year when we're going through these rankings, you might see Mr. Smart in the top spot. We're going to take a break. Uh, the phone lines are open, 478-646-ESPN. Anywhere you want to go in the world of sports is fine with us. And we're back with more of the Bill Shanks Show right after this. Five twenty-four. Russ Brown in for Bill Shanks this afternoon. Phone lines are open four seven eight six four six ESPN. Wherever you want to go in the wide world of sports is fine with us. Of course, the uh, Braves were in action today against the Tampa Bay Rays, and uh, for what it's worth, the Braves won the game three to two. Uh, but more importantly, Ian Anderson on the mound today. Uh, he went three and two thirds innings, gave up a hit, one earned run. He struck out two. He did walk three batters, and he hit another batter. So he allowed four base runners in the three and two-thirds. But uh, some of the observations from David O'Brien and the others that were on hand watching the performance said that he looked much better. Um, and, and look, we've we got to remember, Anderson's coming into this spring with a new pitch. He's worked on the slider to be his third pitch. So, you know, you're working that into your repertoire, getting a feel for it. When when is it most effective to throw? Uh, you know, and and and, and, and you know, Travis Darno caught the game today, but you know he's going to be working with Sean Murphy a little bit too, a new catcher. So there's a there's a lot of new here, and I think sometimes in both directions we get a little bit carried away with spring numbers. The ERA is six fourteen. It's not good. We know he had a terrible outing earlier on this spring, uh, but the the most encouraging thing that I've seen about Ian Anderson it was a tweet today I saw from David O'Brien. And talking about that slider, and it's not – I mean, I'm paraphrasing here, but it's not just a third pitch to say you have a third pitch. Like, it sounds like this is a legitimate third pitch that he's going to be able to work into his repertoire, which is great because uh, it's going to make him a more effective pitcher. And we've talked about the depth of the staff. You feel really good about Max Freed. I feel really good about Spencer Strider. One, two, good to go. Um can Kyle Wright follow up his 20-win season? Uh, if he can pitch to that level again, you're good. You've got three high-end starters in your rotation. But this is where it starts to get really exciting. You've got Charlie Morton, a veteran pitcher. Um, and, and if Charlie can just be baseline Charlie, he's your fourth starter, you're going to be in really good shape there. Uh, you're not asking him to be the number two or the number three guy. You're asking him to be the number four guy. And I think at this stage of his career, uh, he's still got enough gas in the tank to be a really solid uh, top-tier fourth starter in Major League Baseball. Then you get to that fifth slot. Uh, Ian Anderson's the favorite. Look, Michael Soroka hasn't really been able to throw off the mound. or you know, He's still, uh, for lack of a better term, rehabbing. He's still on the comeback trail. He's, there's a chance maybe he could be ready to try to come to Atlanta later on the season, but he's gonna he's not going to start the year with the Braves, which leaves Ian Anderson as your fifth starter. Now, uh, we, you've got Bryce Elder in the conversation. I think Dylan Dodd's done enough this spring to put himself into the conversation. And for me, at the fifth spot, that's the most important thing is that you have competition, and the Braves have that. We talk all the time about how you, just, you can't have enough pitching in Major League Baseball, and, you know, this team is definitely – uh, check that box. But to hear that about Ian's performance today, it wasn't, you know, again, he only gave up one hit. Uh, he gave up one run in three and two thirds. That's the good. Struck out two, but he did walk a batter and he hit 
a, a, a batter and had to pitch out of a couple of jams, but he was able to do it. So it wasn't dominant. It wasn't, you know, knock him out, one, two, three sort of a deal, but still a, a really good bounce-back performance in Florida for Ian Anderson uh, today. As far as uh, guys at the plate, uh, Vaughn Grissom was one for four with a strikeout. Uh, for whatever it's worth, he's batting 286 this spring. Uh, Michael Harris was 0 for two, with, or excuse me, 0 for four with a strikeout, but he's batting 294, swinging a really good bat this spring. As is Travis Darno, he was one for two on the day uh, with a walk. He's batting 375, and uh, Pilar 0 for three at the plate with a couple of strikeouts, batting just 200 on the season. And uh, you know that as far as guys that could be on the major league roster, that's about it. Uh, Darno did have a double in the game. Uh, Vaughn Grissom had an RBI, his fifth of the spring. And uh, so just, you know, a, a win for the Braves 3-2 to two after the uh, over the Tampa Bay Rays. But, but you know, as we're kind of halfway through spring training here, you know, I think it, it's all's gone well. First and foremost, no major injuries. That's, that's always number one, get to April healthy, you know, outside of Mike Soroka, but that's something you've been battling for two or three years now. Uh, this team seems to be pretty healthy. Uh, you know, we don't hear a lot about the competition at shortstop. You know, Grissom's getting the shot. The thought was that if he's not ready to go, you've got Orlando Arcia that can step into that role. But I think Grissom's winning the job. And I think that's a really good sign for this team in 2023, especially because, you know, the, we'll, we'll see how good he is defensively. And that's the number one thing with the shortstop. You've got to be good defensively at that position. So hopefully he can be that. Uh, but I think he's going to be more consistent at, at, at the plate. I think the numbers are going to be better than Dansby Swanson's were in terms of average. I think the power is probably going to be about the same. The base stealing threat is going to be about the same. Uh, but I think he's going to be a more effective, more consistent hitter in this Braves lineup. Now, that being said, the highs I don't think will be as high because Dansby can be kind of a streaky player to the point where – you know, we've seen a, a stretch for, you know, five to six games where he can just put the team on his back. I don't know that Vaughn Grissom is capable of doing that, but if, if, but if he can be consistent and avoid the lows, you know, that we see from Dansby Swanson where, you know, he might strike out 15 times in a week. If you can stay away from that and be a more consistent bat in that order, I think this offense can be better with Vaughn Grissom in it. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what he can do. And as we talked about, you got to get left field figured out. Um, you know, heard some good things about Rosario this spring in terms of, you know, he had the vision problems, but it sounds like he's all the way back. And there's a confidence thing that probably goes into that as well for for the left field position. So that's what's going on with the Atlanta Braves. Uh, we'll have both games for you uh, here on the Superstations uh, Saturday and Sunday, 12.55 start. Uh, 1 o'clock first pitch, and uh, we certainly look forward to that. Love being able to hear Ben and Joe do a little baseball on the Saturday and Sunday afternoons. And, hey, we're less than a month away from the start of the regular season. Uh, start of the regular season is this month. We're about three weeks away. And uh, really, really getting excited about this upcoming season for the Atlanta Braves. The phone lines are open at 478-646-ESPN. Wherever you want to go in the world of sports is fine with us. We've got uh, college basketball going on. Of course, the selection show will be on Sunday. And um, looking forward to see who's in and who's out. You've got some pretty big names on the bubble. Uh, Kentucky, although I think the Wildcats may have played their way in with that win last night. 
Uh, North Carolina is a bubble team this year as well, so we'll see if those two are able to get into the tournament. I hope they do uh, because the Cinderellas are fun, but you'd like to see the big boys in there uh, as well. As far as what's going on at the SEC tournament today, our, earlier today Alabama knocked off Mississippi State. 72-49 to 49 was the final score there. Uh, the Crimson Tide may be a one seed in this year's tournament. We'll see. They're 27-5 and five on the season now. 16 and 2 in SEC play, and uh, a big day from Brendan Miller. Uh, he's the Associated Press Player of the Year, and of course, we know the off the field stuff he's dealing with as well. Uh, so there's going to be some scrutiny there, and that's one thing too. Uh, you know, as, as they move forward into the NCAA tournament, when you get out into these other cities, he's going to be asked about that in media availability. So, you know, that's going to be something that the Alabama team has to deal with. You know, it looked like uh, since that news had come out, they were maybe starting to, to slip a little bit. Uh, they had that loss to Texas A&M. Um, but, you know, they, they, they've got to be affected in some ways by this Brandon Miller story. It's got to be a little bit of a distraction. Uh, but, you know, I think maybe they put a little bit of that to rest today with that 72-49 to 49 win over Mississippi State. Um, the Bulldogs finished the year 21-12, and 8-10 and 10 in the SEC and you've got a really good game going on right now uh, with Tennessee and Missouri. Tennessee ranked 17th in the country. Missouri ranked 25th. They're tied up at 67 apiece uh, with just under three minutes to go in that contest. Um, you've got uh, Viscovi leading the way for the Vols. He's got 17 points. And uh, the uh, Missouri Tigers getting a big game from Kobe Brown. Uh, he leads them with 22 points in this contest. So this is going right down to the wire. And it's, I mean, these finishes have been really good and there's some really good basketball being played in the Southeastern conference. They've come a long, long way from where they were 10 or 15 years ago when it seemed like basketball was just kind of an afterthought. Arkansas and Texas A&M will play in the seven o'clock game. The Aggies are 18th in the country, 23 and eight overall, 15 and three in the sec, Arkansas, 20 and 12, eight and 10, uh, and the winner of that game will face the winner of the Vanderbilt-Kentucky game that comes your way later tonight. Kentucky 21-10 and 10 on the season, 12-6 and 6 in the SEC, and uh, Vanderbilt 19-13, 11-7 in the SEC. And, of course, failed to mention the winner of the Tennessee-Missouri game will take on Alabama. So you're going to get another top 25 matchup regardless of who wins between Tennessee and Missouri in that one. The ACC – uh, they're uh, one day ahead, so they have their semifinals coming up tonight. Uh, you've got Duke taking on Miami. The Duke Blue Devils ranked 21st in the country, Miami number 14. They're 25-6, and 15-5 and five in the ACC. The Blue Devils 24-8, and 14-6 in the ACC. And then the late game in the other semifinal, the Clemson Tigers 23-9, 14-6 in the ACC. Virginia 24-6, uh, 15-5 in conference play. And I joked about this with our my midday cohort, Daniel Shirley. Uh, Daniel is out of town for a wedding. The wedding is Saturday night. There's no way out of this. There's no way around this. He has to be at the wedding. He has to be focused on the wedding. And from what I understand, I'm not Catholic, but it's a Catholic wedding, and they can be long. This, this, this is what my Catholic friends have told me. I'm not, not being judgy here, I promise. I know religion can get a little bit sensitive, but, you know, that's just what I've heard. The, the, the main idea here is that if Clemson's in the championship game Saturday night, he's not going to be able to watch it. Clemson's never won the ACC tournament. So, and, and Daniel, with the personality that he is, of course, 
Well, he's like, well, Clemson's going to win it this year because I can't watch it, which <laughs> with the fed that information, we've all been kind of rooting for Clemson because uh, that, that would just be hilarious if Daniel wasn't able to, to watch it. I'm sure he'd find a way, though. I'm sure he would, at least to see the end of it at the reception, right? Because I want to say – let me skip ahead here and see. Well, I think it's a primetime game. Um, well, no, they don't They don't have it up on the, the schedule yet. I'd have to go find the bracket probably on the conference's website – but I want to say it's a 7.30, 8 o'clock start, I think, to maybe 7 o'clock uh, for the ACC championship game. So if the Clemson Tigers are in it, hopefully uh, Mr. Shirley uh, can get his wedding over with fast enough and uh, be, able to, be able to check that one out. We're going to take a break. Uh, 478-646-ESPN is the number. we got one more segment for phone calls. We'd love to hear from you. Anywhere in the world of sports you want to go is fine with us. And we're back with more of the Bill Shank Show right after this. Here's breaking news on the Bill Shank Show. This is from Adam Schefter of ESPN NFL Draft. Here we go. The Chicago Bears have traded the number one overall pick to the Carolina Panthers for the ninth pick, the 61st pick, a first-round pick in 2024, a second-round pick in 2025, and wide receiver DJ Moore. That is a lot to give up for the number one pick. So now the question becomes, which quarterback have the Carolina Panthers fallen in love with? They've been linked to Anthony Richardson a lot. His size, his athleticism is going to draw a lot of Cam Newton comparisons. So we're going to hear a lot of that. Bryce Young is thought to be the best quarterback in this year's draft. So will it be him? A lot of us think C.J. Stroud is the best quarterback in this year's draft. Is it C.J. Stroud? But this is what we talk about all the time in the draft. It's a different animal. And whoever the quarterback is, people are going to say, is this the best player in the draft? This is about acquiring a franchise quarterback. This is about having the ninth pick and a lot of teams in front of you also looking for that same franchise quarterback. And you've done your research and you've done your homework and you said, this is our guy. We don't know who it is yet, but this is our guy. This is who we want to be the face of our franchise moving forward. You've identified that player, and your front office has now made sure that you're going to be able to go get that guy, whoever it is. Now now watch him draft a defensive end. But, no, this has got to be a move for a quarterback, I would imagine. And uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know if we'll find out who it is before the draft. Are they going to keep us in suspense? But this is a big Big move by the Carolina Panthers. Let's get back to the phones now. 478-646-ESPN. Will in North Carolina. I know you're a Panthers fan, buddy. What do you think about this? I was talking to you and Bill uh, the first of the week. That, uh, it was a blessing in disguise that we didn't sign Derek Carr because that's exactly what the Panthers would have done. But I'm so glad we missed out and uh, pulled this because they can take D.J. Moore anytime, any week, any day, Chicago can have him. We'll throw to uh, 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 anybody. I don't care as long as we finally uh, get this quarterback situation taken care of. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm like you. It's either either Strauss, uh, Stroud or Bryce Young, but I just hope we can finally get this thing figured out. And, I, I mean, I, I long for the days of Jake DeLong. So, <laughs> And, uh, I mean, Cam was great, but I, I think this is a real opportunity to, uh, you know, have a great quarterback for the next 10-some years. So, I just 
I'm glad that we missed out on Derek and I was talking to y'all and bam, this happens during all the madness of basketball going on. But uh, yeah, I mean, they can take DJ Moore anytime, any day, as long as we do our homework and get this right. So what do y'all think? Well, I, well before I tell you that, I, I, I want to get your thoughts. What, who, which quarterback do you prefer? Who do you hope that they take with the first pick? CJ really showed me something during uh, the Georgia game against y'all or whatever that everybody was saying he didn't run. And I, I mean, I, I like CJ through the year, but I mean, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, it's going to be tough to turn down uh, Bryce Young, mm. honestly. It's going to be really tough to turn down Bryce Young, I think. Um, I, I feel I feel his size might be, be an issue, but I – I think he's a gamer, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, I mean, uh, going into the college football playoffs, everybody was talking about how CJ didn't run or anything like that. He he blew that out of the water against Shaw, uh, but I mean, it's not all about running. We've had mm-hmm. a, a running quarterback. We need an accurate person, uh, somebody can throw, and I I really see it being Bryce Young, but we'll see. All right, Ben. Well, uh, you got a little ways to go before it gets here, but I remember when the Falcons made this move to go get Michael Vick. It was a lot of fun, so enjoy it. Oh yeah, I mean, if they could be anything like that, my Michael Vick was—he wasn't experienced for about five or six years. He was the man. Yep, no doubt. All right, man. Have a great weekend. It was good to hear from you, Will. You too. See ya. Um, yeah, it's and and look, uh, obviously that this organization has identified a player in this year's draft that they feel like can be their number one, their franchise guy moving forward. And and they've made the move to get him. Uh, and, and, and look, they gave up a lot. So it's hard to be, uh, you know, some people may be critical of this. And, and you know, in this group of quarterbacks, let's be honest, it's, it's kind of funny. It's not thought to be this really great group. But in a lot of these mock drafts, because of trades like this, the – uh, there's a chance that four quarterbacks could go in the first seven picks, and that's never happened before. So it would be kind of ironic if it was this group that was the first one to do this. Now, the fallout from this move and how it affects some of the other teams. Let's start with the other team involved, involved here, the Chicago Bears. Chicago Bears are in great shape. Uh, if you're a Bears fan, this is a great day. You just got the ninth pick in this year's draft, the 61st pick in this year's draft, a first-round pick next year, a second-round pick in 2025, and a target for Justin Fields in DJ Moore. And that and, and then the other part of this too is obviously uh, we, there were some wondering that the Bears might try to take a quarterback here and would they trade Justin Fields and if they traded Justin Fields would he go to the Falcons? Uh we can squash that now. The other part of this too is uh as far as the salary cap is concerned for Chicago, Justin Fields uh is one is uh, an 11 million dollar hit. Um oh, hang on, let me find the that's the contract. Let me find the, the cap hit for Sport Track. Anyway, long story short, two more years before they have to re-up him on his rookie deal. So essentially, you've got two more seasons where you can continue to build this roster, try to find out if Justin Fields is your quarterback, and if you decide that he's not the guy, you've got an extra first-round pick next year that you could use on another quarterback. So, you know, until we know who the pick is for Carolina – you know, if if the guy they take, if they take a quarterback and he becomes their franchise quarterback, uh, and it goes on, you know, he's the guy for the next ten to twelve years. That's a win for Carolina, 
if Justin Fields turns out to be the Bears franchise quarterback and they continue to build through the draft with all the picks they just picked up, it's a win for the Chicago Bears. So I think this trade could be good for both teams. Now, the other part of this equation, from the Atlanta Falcons standpoint, the idea of trading back being easy because the Panthers are there at nine and somebody's going to want to get in front of them to take a quarterback if there's a quarterback still left on the board, that goes away now. We know that we, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt the Chicago Bears aren't taking a quarterback. How do we know that? Because they would have just kept the first pick and taken their quarterback. They're not taking a quarterback. So now the teams linked to these top four quarterbacks are in front of the Atlanta Falcons, which may make it more difficult to trade back if that's what they wanted to do. So this is a big trade. Uh, it kind of really gets things kicked off with the, you know, with the NFL draft. And remember, free agency – now, technically, free agency starts Wednesday at 4 o'clock, but these teams can start talking to players. It's called the tampering period. I think it's at noon, but it starts on Monday. I want to say at noon. So the rumors are about to really start to heat up in free agency. You know, I'll be really curious over the weekend to see what the speculation is as far as who – is linked to the Carolina Panthers and, uh, you know, what direction you think they may want to go here uh, with the quarterback position. And, and you got to love social media because Fleeced and Frank Reich are already trending. Um, my goodness, man. It just shows you the value of that first round and having the number one overall pick. And we talk about it a lot, you know, what it takes to get – you see what it took here to go – uh, from the ninth pick to the first pick. Obviously, you swap first-round picks, but then you have to give up another one in 2024, and then that's uh, two second-round picks as well. So that's – man, you, the Chicago Bears, specifically Justin Fields, has got to be feeling great right now. Um, I mean, they have an opportunity to really, really build something in Chicago if Justin is their franchise quarterback. Uh, you know, obviously, they played the Falcons this year. We had a chance to see – him up close and personal. Uh, I think he's got the potential to be a really, really good quarterback in the National Football League. I will say this, though. I do not like the way the Bears are using him. I think they ran him way too much. And that, that we know for these quarterbacks, that just shortens the career. It shortens the lifespan. Uh, so I, I hope they're able to dial it. I look, and they're trying to win football games. I understand that. And they felt like the offensive staff, that gave them the best chance to win. But I hope they transition away from that. I mean, you want him to still use his athleticism, of course. Uh, but, you know, if this is somebody that's your franchise quarterback, you're going to want them to be uh, to be around for as long as possible. So, uh, again, to, uh, to, to say it one more time, if you're just tuning in, the Carolina Panthers have traded the number nine pick, the number 61 pick, first rounder in 2024, second rounder in 2025, and DJ Moore to the Chicago Bears for the number one overall pick can't wait to see what happens you know as far as our falcons are concerned that i think they're going to be big players in free agency next week next week's going to be a huge week if you're an atlanta falcons fan uh spoke with d orlando led better earlier in the program you know uh, hargrove's potentially going to be out there davlin tomlinson's another name I, I got a real good feeling that defensive tackle is going to be one of the big swings for the Atlanta Falcons. They want to get that push up front. You know, D. Orlando mentioned Ibakiti and Malone, two of the draft picks from last year that they want to get a look at on the outside. Of course, they brought Lorenzo Carter back. He's your sort of rush linebacker, if you will, for we'll just use that term. 
And, you know, with a two-year $9 million deal, the idea is that Ibikiti or Malone eventually takes that spot away from Lorenzo Carter. And they think being able to get a push-up uh, front with uh, Grady Jarrett and pairing him with another defensive tackle is going to help them to be able to do that. He also mentioned cornerback. Uh, and, and, you know, and Bates, the safety out of Cincinnati, is a guy they've been linked to as well at the safety spot. So, uh, you know, I think the Falcons are going to make uh, some significant moves uh, coming up next week in free agency. And and then also, you know, D. Orlando threw this out there. I kind of asked him about the strategy because we've been talking about do they spend on defense and then address the offense in the draft. or And he kind of suggested maybe – you know, they, they're not going to throw a bunch of cash around just because they can. You know, they, they want to spend the right money on the right person. So so his thought process was, you know, you, you, you kind of identify who you want and at what price, and if you can make that happen, awesome. Uh, but if you can't, then you address those needs in the draft. And we've talked about it. When it gets time for the NFL draft after free agency, we're going to have, a, I think, a really clear picture of what direction the Atlanta Falcons are headed in uh, in the 2023 draft, but just an opportunity to really take a big step in this process. Year three for Arthur Smith and Terry Fontenot together as sort of the brain trust there in Flowery Branch, leading the Atlanta Falcons. And for the first time since they've been in this position, they can really make some waves in the offseason and free agency. The Falcons are finally out from under the uh, salary cap constraints they've been under. And they ended up, I think it was over $80 million last year in dead cap money. How in the hell did that team win seven games? But they did. But now it's the hard part. You know, you can make mistakes on Saturday in the draft. You don't want to. You're trying to find gems because that really kind of fast forwards you in a rebuilding process. But as we saw with Justin Schaefer, it's pretty easy to move on quickly from those guys. And that's what they were um, that what they were doing. Uh but in free agency, uh, the misses in free agency are a lot more painful. So this is where things get kind of tough for the Atlanta Falcons. Real quick before we get uh, out of here, uh, Tate on Twitter. Am I the only one who thinks Carolina traded up not for Bryce Young, but instead they're going after Anthony Richardson? I, I, I'm Tate. It would not surprise me. And, I'm, and it's going to be – and you're going to hear that a lot. And the reason you're going to hear it is because the, the size and athleticism of Anthony Richardson, he's going to be compared to Cam Newton – Cam Newton had a fantastic career in Carolina for the Panthers, so that's gonna be that's what we do, man. That's that that is you're going to hear that. I don't know if there's anything to it, but I can almost guarantee you you're gonna hear the Panthers link to Anthony Richardson. Can't wait to see who it is. What a fun way to end the week. You're listening to the Bill Shanks Show.